0: All right, so we'll see, so today's daf is emir zahashem, daf tes zayin, a very exciting and really riveting daf ahead of us today. So we are picking up, we are picking up emir zahashem from, um, let's pick up krat misaye leil rabban, I think that's where we left off, I think we left off two, four, six, seven lines up from the bottom. So we'll see, just to reorient ourselves a little bit, we had a, right, does that make sense where we left off? I think right around this, seven lines up on the bottom, about? Uh, yeah. I don't think, I think we did, I think we did the position of the rabbi. But again, quick review. So remember, so we had a fundamental machlokas in the Gemara, about how many Arons, how many arcs were there in, for Claudi for Yisrael. We had Rabbi Yehuda Bar-Iloy, Rabbi Yehuda Ben-Lokish, seems to be the correct version is Rabbi Yehuda Ben-Lokish, hold that there were two Arons, there are two Arks. One ultimately, again, had the Torah inside of it, and one had what we call the shivrei luchos inside of it. So one had the whole tablets, one had the broken tablets. Interestingly enough, it would appear that the one with the whole tablets remained stationed inside of the Beis Amitosh, and the one with the broken tablets was the one that went out to Klal Israel with war. The Rabbana argue, and the Rabbana say there was only one ark. There was only one Ark, and inside of that Ark, again, we're going to see everyone agrees that the Ark housed both the whole and broken Luchos. So inside of that one Ark were the whole Luchos as well as the broken Luchos. The Rabbanon said that the Ark only went out once. It only went out once. It went out during the days of Eili, and the Ark itself was taken captive during that time. So, so we have a Pasuk that supports the Rabbanon. Because we will say actually the Gemara quotes the Pasach from when the Ark was taken captive by the Plishtim. The Plishtim said essentially, who's going to save us? We've never seen anything like this. The fact that they said, we've never seen anything like this, the Gemara takes to mean that they had never seen the Aron before. So because they had never seen the Aron before, that's their indicator that it had never gone out to war with Kalal Yisrael. In fact, again, I will say, remember again, it's during that battle that the sons of Eli are killed. It's during that battle, ultimately, again, that, remember, Eli hears about the death of his sons. He falls back off his chair. He breaks his neck. He dies. That was a, that was a catastrophic time. A catastrophic time for Kalal Lissera. So the Gemara goes back to Krav Rabbi ben We have a, a Pasik that supports Rabbi Huda ben Lakish. What does the Pasik say? Hagisha Aron Elokim. So Sha'ol said bring forth the ark. Ayvalo Aron B'Kiriyasi Aram Haya. But it wasn't the ark stationed in Kiryasi Arim. Ma'avd, so the but the fact that Sha'ol said bring forth the ark, indicates to us what? That there were two arks. There were two Arons. There was one that was stationed wherever it was stationed. And then there was one that would go out with Klal my of So what did Rabbanon do? Remember, the Rabbanon who say that morning. The the, 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 Rabbanon, the Rabbanon who said that there was one ark. So what do they do with this pasuk? So the Gemara says, Hagisha ha So according to the Rabbanon, Shaul wasn't actually asking for the aron, but rather Shaul was asking for the tzitz. Okay, Siddharth Kram Sail says Bandit Lokish, there's a Pasik that's Marshabudkish, Haron Viswavi Huda Yoshvin Basukos. The Pasik says that the Arun and Khalis were sitting or were stationed in Sukkos, top of Taszain. I bahalo valo aron bitsion haya. But at that point in time in history the arun was actually stationed in Yerushalaim in Sion. So what does the Pasik mean? So Ma Sid Mars Ma'a So that, that seems to indicate to us that Allah said there were two arks. There were two arons, one that was stationed in this case stationed in Yerushalayim, and one that went out with Klavisra. Yisrael. So my Avd So what do the Rabbanon say that there was one aron, What do they do with this pasuk? We were talking so we'll also when it says that the aron was in Sukkos, it actually very interesting. When it says that it was in Sukkos, it actually means it was in Yerushalayim. So if it means in Jerusalem, why does it call it in Sukkos? Because at this point in time in history, the Beis Hamikdosh was not yet built. So where was the Aaron housed? The Aron was housed in a temporary hut like a sukkah. Incredible. So the Gemara says, So the Gemara, So we'll say, listen to this. So we'll say, that ends, that ends, that's Machlokes. So we'll say, so how do we him? So remember again, this This to me, is a, this to me is, a, is a dramatic, actually, you know what, let's 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 wait. Um, there, there, there's two there, truth is there's two pieces here. Remember, there's two machlokhsim. One machlokes is whether one ark or was there two ark. So that that's just the historical machlokes now, It's not really as much a question of how he it or not. The other machlokes remember again that we made reference to, was the machlokes ultimately about about whether or not the aron was taken to Babel or was the Aaron buried inside of the Beis Hamikdash compound? So what happened there? So when we, when we go to the Rambam in just a little bit, let's just first finish this sugya. this is incredible. Mishenignas aron So you can already see from the Gemara. So what does Mishenignas aron mean when the Aaron was buried, which seems to indicate that in fact the Aaron was not exiled but rather again like the opinion that says that the arn was buried in a subterranean chamber in the Beis HaMikdash compound. Review from yesterday, under which chamber? Under which chamber? The Dira Itzin. That's what it sounds like. Again, so i that the Gemara is based on that Gemara. By the way, when the Arn was hidden away, there were other things hidden away also. Nigna's imo saman, a little jug of man, vitz utsluchis shamana which we're going to talk about, and a flask of anointing oil. And the staff of Aaron, along with its flowers and its almonds. The Argos, Sheh Plishtim, Asham Leloke Yisrael, and the Chesnevos was going back to the story before where the sons of Eli made the catastrophic mistake of taking the Aaron out to war. They die, the Plishtim take the Aaron. When the Plishtim took the Aaron, again the Navi relates that they were stricken with debilitating diarrhea and hemorrhoids. So in fact, what ended up happening was the Plishtim returned the Ark, returned the Aron, and they gave, and they gave as like a tribute, it actually sounds interesting, golden hemorrhoids. Now, now, understand what that means. Now, you know, just gold pieces fashioned in this way. In other words, that they were so, they were so, not just physically stricken, but like overwhelmed by the it's an incredible gift idea. I'm sure you could order it on Amazon. Right, so, so j- j- just the, the, the incredible idea that they were so overwhelmed by the strength of the Rehbon Hashom. So, that, that tribute was hidden away as well. So, the Gemara says, mm-hmm. So, so who, who hid it away? Who hid the Arnabos? I just point out there's so much to see on each of these things. I understand they, they hid away the mun. The man ultimately, again, represented the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was the great sustainer. I also understand the Shaman HaMishchah, the anointing oil, because we'll discuss anointing oil itself is what was used to anoint Davidic kings and also to go ahead and anoint the kalim of the Beis HaMikdash. Staff of Aaron, staff of Aaron represents the kahuna, right? And the legitimacy, the fact that the kahuna only belongs to the descendants of Aaron HaKohen, Ultimately, again, the tribute from the plishtim representing God's dominion over the nations of the world. I'll just point out that you, we don't have time for it now, but if we have time, we'll come back to it later, which we won't, it is, is that the staff of Aaron wasn't just hidden away with the staff of Aaron. Right? The staff of Aaron, as the Gemara points out, was hidden away together with the shkediel Prachal, the flowers and the almonds. Why you needed the flowers and the almonds, keep in your mind. If we have two minutes at the end, I'll come back to it. So the Gemara says, Me, Gonzo. So who hid away the Aaron? Yoshio, Gonzo. Yoshio. So I remember again, Yoshio was one of the last kings of the Davidic family during, during Zman Ba'i's Rishon. First base Amikdosh. So says the Gemara, Because yo once Yoshio heard the prophecy that said, that the Rebano Shalom is going to take you and your king and exile you to a nation that you did not know, Ahmed the Gonzo, Yoshio decided it is better to hide away the Aron than it would be Chas Shalom to go and have the Aron fall into Gentile hands. So the Gemara says, ben so we'll say this is incredibly dramatic. So Yoshio says to the Leviim. he says, "You no longer have Masa You no longer have anything to carry." So, the, the, which, which was, can you imagine the heartbreak when he said that statement? You have nothing more to carry. We're hiding away the urn, we're putting away the urn, because if we don't, it is going to be exiled along with us. Because <laughs> Yoshio said to the Leviim, if the urn is taken to Bavel, it's not coming back. It's not coming back. If and Israel, but rather again serve your people, serve your God. And I will say again, in the most dramatic shift, up until now the service of the Leviim had taken the form of active avoda. Up until now the service of the Leviim had, because safety is so carrying the carrying the utensils, and now Yosho is telling them your avoda now is to hide away the Arun. Because if the Arn is shalom exiled, it is not coming back. So we'll say the Gemara goes right there. So we'll say, so remember again, now that the Gemara mentioned, That the shemen hamishcha was also hidden away. The Gemara spends a little bit of time speaking about the shemen hamishcha, about the anointing oil. So we'll say before we go to that, I'll just tell you the Rambam. Actually, let's finish. So we'll say, interestingly enough, the entire um we'll call it shemen hamishcha. Solution? Maybe that's the wrong word. Um, the, the, the entire supply of Shamanah Mishcha, the Gemara says, was 1,500 manim portions. So the Gemara is going to break this down. Shemanzai is hin. So we'll say, so the Torah says, for Shaman Mishcha, you use a hin of Shemanzai's olive oil. That's 12 lug. Shabo Shulkin and So we'll say, so listen to this. We're going to see just an interesting Machlok about how they made the anointing oil, the Shemir, that's really fascinating. Shemir says, what you would do is you would take the 12 lug of olive oil, and inside of that oil, they would take all of the, the Ikarin. Ikarin are, are roots, roots or herbs. So they would soak everything in the olive oil itself. Rabbi Huda disagrees. He says, no. Shulkan haya b'mayim. They would first cook the roots or the herbs in water. And then after they would cook the herbs and the roots, then they would pour the oil over it. And what would happen? So the gemara said, No Sin Shaman Gabe, es Sareach, and then ultimately again now that the herbs and that the roots were cooked so they would, they would emit a fragrance. You would pour the oil over them. The oil would collect the fragrance of the roots. And then what would happen? He says, Then you would go ahead and remove the oil. Remove the oil. The same way that the perfumers... This is the same way perfumers work today. Hadu d'chsev sheman Mishra chodesh. Tani Rabbi This so will say it's an interesting machlokas just about exactly how sheman mishcha was made. You have Rabbi Meir saying that the roots themselves, the roots and the herbs, were soaked in the oil. Others say no, the roots and the herbs were cooked in water, and then ultimately the oil was poured over them, able to able to accumulate or to acquire their fragrance. Tani Rabbi Hudu ben, ben Rabbi eloi Sheman mishcha And says <laughs> a very dramatic gemara. The sheman the anointing oil, that Moshe Abenu made in the desert, it was miraculous from the beginning to the end. How so? In the beginning, because it was like to begin with, to begin with, the entire amount of Shemen Mishra was only 12 log. It was 12 log. In Boesai beginning, Lo So we'll say, the truth is, when you begin to measure out the amount of herbs and roots that were used, that wasn't even enough oil to cover all of the herbs and cover all of the roots. Furthermore, again, I'm say everyone knows that when you're making scented oil, remember again, you're, heat, you're heating it up, you're using heat. Whenever there's heat, there's always going to be some amount of, um, what's the word? Um, Evaporation, thank you. Evaporation. And the wood itself, right? Or the roots themselves ultimately uh, um, absorb some of the oil. The, the pot absorbs as well. And they will say, so again, so remember you started out with a relatively small amount of liquid to begin with. The roots absorb, the pot absorbs, the fire, the, the fire absorbs, some of it evaporates, so on and so forth. And yet, interestingly enough, And yet, interestingly enough, And I will say, amazingly enough, it was still enough oil to anoint the entire Mishkan, to anoint all of, all of the utensils, the table, the shulchan, and all all of its accompanying instruments, the menorah, all of its accompanying instruments, and I will say, furthermore, it was enough oil to go ahead and anoint Aaron and his sons each and every day of the seven days of consecration. And I will say, there was enough oil to always go ahead and anoint uh, Kohanim, Kohanim, Gidolim, high priests and kings, and kings. And I will say, by the way, just pointing out, not only that, but did just see him the Gemara before, and there was what? And there was what? There was leftover. Because remember again, the Gemara says that when Yoshio hid away the Aaron he hid away together with that a flask of anointing oil. So, the Pashtus, that's the same anointing oil of Moshe, which Rebbe also says that amazingly enough, when Mashiach comes, Emir and the Beis Hamikdash is rebuilt, the Pashtus are going to have to go ahead and use the Shemen Hamishcha again. We will have the same Shemin Hamishcha as Moshe Rabbeinu. So, what I just point out? The role of Shemana Mishra is quite interesting. You know, everything is anointed. It's fascinating. Inanimate objects are anointed. (coughs) Excuse me. People are anointed. What's the role of Shemana Mishra? It's an incredible yisod. What Shemana Mishra does is you pretty much can't operate without being anointed, right? You can't operate as coin Gadol without being anointed. You can't operate as king without being anointed. You can't operate the Beis or the Mishkan, without anointing it. Everything in life possesses incredible innate Kiddushah, but you must do something in order to bring it out, right? The innate Kiddushah remains innate if you don't do something about it. Shemana Mishcha is the way that I show I, I, whatever the I is, the I can be the coin Gadol, the I can be the Melech, the I can be the Mishkan, I, or the item, possesses Kiddushah. But you have to do something to bring it out. Kiddushah doesn't just flow out on its own. It requires Shaman HaMishcha. It requires some type of ma'isa in order to bring it out. And it's such an incredible Yisod. Because both the metaphor is so powerful for us as well. We each possess a reservoir of Kiddushah. The Shaila is... What am I doing in order to bring it out? So the Gemara goes right there. Melech ben Melech betrila tolmashicha. We'll say, interestingly enough, a king, a first king, this is going to be very interesting. A first king requires anointing. Melech ben Melech ain't mishicha, but the son of a king who becomes king does not require anointing. We'll say, very interesting. My taima, kumishachayu ki zehu. Ki zehu. Ze mishicha vein benot tolmashicha. We'll this is a reference to Davida Melech. Shmuel tells Shmuel, t- I'm sorry, the Baruch tell tells Shmuel Get up and anoint this one, for he is the king. This is fascinating. So, so the, the Gemara Darshins, David required Mashiach, but his son did not. Now his son Shmuel did have Mashiach, we'll discuss why. It will a very simple reason why. Because remember, the monarchy is a hereditary position. Right, that's it, assuming the, assuming the son is, is, is fit, Right, the monarchy automatically passes from father to son. So essentially the Mashikha of the father, the meshiha of the father counts for the son, which I is an incredible yisod, which tells you that what? Which tells you that what I say, that sometimes, sometimes the activation of Kedusha that we do for ourselves has a positive impact on our children as well. Sometimes when you do your own mashikha when you do a ma'isa to bring out your own inherent, internal Kiddushah, don't just think that that impacts you, that impacts your child as well. Conversely, This mm-hmm. is fascinating. But who does require mashikha The Kohen gudl, the son of the Kohen Gadol. So for example, again, you have Aaron as the Kohen Gadol, and then Aaron is a son of Lazar, and Elahzer becomes the Kohen Gadol, Elazar has, has to have Mashiach, which I will say, which is really, which is really quite, quite interesting. And yeah. the reason why this is interesting is because, remember, on one hand, you would have thought maybe like a little intuitively the opposite, because remember, Kahuna is just passed down. You don't really have to do anything much to be a Kohen. As long as your father was a Kohen, you're in. But remember, what did Kahuna Gedola represent? Kahuna Gedola represented spiritual achievement. So monarchy is hereditary. Spir- spiritual achievement is not. So you might have a great father, and you might have someone who was a, a father who was a queen gadol. But l'maysa, if you want to become a queen gadol, you require your own mashiach. So you see like an interesting dialectic. On one hand, if I do a personalistic mashiach, that has the ability to impact my children. It has the ability to impact them, but it doesn't potter them. They're still going to have to do their own Mashiach. They're still going to have to do their own Misa, their own dynamic activity in order to bring out their own personalistic Yiddush. Incredible. So, the gemara says, HaDohu Dixiv, shemen mishchas Kodesh, Yezeli L'doroseich. we'll say, incredible. Ein So, we'll say, now that we're talking about Mashiach, we, we anoint kings where, Ela Agabe By a wellspring. And we'll say, of course, this is Symbolic. That just as the wellspring goes ahead and springs forth eternal, so too we give a bracha to the new king that your monarchy should endure. Shenehemar ve'kafteh shlomo bni alapirda asherli va'radatem oso elgihon umashach oso sham. So we'll say, incredibly, so what, is the, what does the Pasuk say? The David HaMelech says, take my son Shlomo and anoint him by the gichon." And I will say, of course, now this is very interesting, because what did we just say before? We just said that you don't have to anoint the Melech ben Melech, right? The son of a king who becomes king doesn't require the Meshichah. Yet here the Pasuk explicitly says that what? David is saying to anoint Shlomo. We'll discuss why that was happening. But the point that he was making is, wherever Shlomo Melech anointed, he was anointed by the gichon. By a spring. So the Gemara says, I'm sorry, I didn't read this. The Gemara says, But one second. We just said before that you don't anoint. You don't have to anoint the king, the son of a king. But the only reason we do so is, And It will say, if the monarchy is contested, then we do in fact anoint the quote-unquote real king in order to silence any objections to his ascension to the throne. So the Gemara for example, "Bipnei manim shak shlomo." Why was Shlomo Melech anointed if he, in fact, was a Melech ben Melech? Bipnei machlokeso shaladon yo. What's the remember again? The end of Sefer Melachim. David Melech is on his deathbed. On Shai Sefer Shmuel, David Melech is on his deathbed. Right, he's literally dying, and as he's dying, his son Adonio ben Chagis. Misnasele mar ani Amloch. Adoniyo ben Chagis. Is proclaiming himself as king. So that's when David because apparently David HaMelech never made an explicit statement that Shlomo was going to be king, even though he felt it was understood. So David HaMelech therefore requires Shlomo to be anointed in order to silence any opposition. <laughs> so what says the Just gives multiple examples of this of kings who, although they were in line for the monarchy ultimately were anointed because their monarchy was contested. So the Gemara says, But I'll say furthermore again, only Davidic kings are anointed. Only Davidic kings are anointed. Right? Malchus, Malchus, Israel, kings over Malchus, Israel are not anointed. Anointed. So the Gemara says, so say, so I, Elio, Yoho So we'll say, I saw why was anointed. So we'll say, again, the exception to this rule is going to be, once again, where there was a contested monarchy. When there was a contested monarchy, then you would anoint even Malchis. And interestingly enough, the is going to say it later, but I'm going to say it now. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what about Shaul? Right? Shaul, the first king. Was not Malch was of course was not a, was not of Davidic dynasty. He was anointed. We're going to see. I say that there was like a kind of um, quasi anointing which was done with shemen afarsimon balsam oil. So balsam oil was often used either sometimes when the shemen Mishra was not available. Or for non Malche based Dov, for non Davidic kings. So, for example, Shaul was anointed by the Navi Shmuel, but he was anointed with and Faris with the Bolsa. We're going to see that in just a bit. So, the Gemara says, one second. The Gemara says, uh, Interestingly enough, the Pasik says, the, the Gemara said that Yoho was anointed because his monarchy was contested by his brother Yoho but yet we just said before that Yoshio was the one who hid away the Aaron, and together with his and together with the Aaron, together with the Aron hid away the Shemar the anointing oil. Now, I will say, now remember, Yo'achaz was the son of Yoshio. So if that's the case, how was Yo'achaz anointed with oil if it was already hidden away by his father? Had the Amra, we just said before, back me. he was anointed with balsam oil. So, I will say so this is very important because at times the anointing was done in order to go ahead and highlight the idea that this is the accepted king. But after your show, whenever you find any type of anointing, it was not done with Shamanah Mishcha. It was only done with only done with Shemana Far Simon. Good. In Moshchinah Samalokim, Allah mina Karen. Furthermore, I will say another interesting Allah. We only anoint kings with a Karen, with, from a horn. From a horn. I will say what that literally means. Is the hollowed-out horn of an animal? So the Gemara says, Yehu, So, for example, Shol and Yehu, who were anointed from a apach. Apach literally means a um, a receptacle, a receptacle. So, to ultimately, Malchus Their monarchy was of limited duration. Hayseh, Malchus, and Malchus Kayemes. David and Shlomo were anointed from a horn. Ultimately, again, their monarchy endured. I will say, what's, what's the symbolism of a horn? So Tiktin it Chadatin says, it's very simple. Just a horn lasts longer than a cup, right? that, that, than, than, a, than a flask, than a jug. That was it. Since the material endures longer, the material endures longer, that's why, again, it's a simon. Beautiful. motion, so the Gemara says, Amr Rabiona, Amr Rabi Yuda, An Sunidaira. Lo Yasr shevet Mi Yehuda. So we'll say, interesting, Alokha, we do not go ahead and appoint Kohanim as kings. Kohanim can't be kings. Why? Because the Pasik says, Lo Yasr shevet Mi Yehuda. Pasik says ultimately, again, that the scepter of rulership shall not depart from the Pasha's Vayikhi. So we'll say the passage says when speaking about the monarchy, for speaking about the king, said he will enjoy longevity of days on his monarchy, he and his sons in the midst of Cloud Israel. And what does the passage say immediately afterwards? So we'll say the passage says about the fact that the Kahanim don't have a portion in But the fact that that phrase Lo yiyu kohanim levim is juxtaposed to the monarchy tells us that kohanim cannot become kings. Rabbeinu you know that this particular halacha was a point of contention, in a crucial part of history in the aftermath of the Chanukah story. The Chashmonaim, who were kohanim. Took the monarchy, and there's machlokis Rambam and the Ramban as to whether or not they did the right thing. According to one opinion, the very undoing of the Hasmonean dynasty was the fact that they took the monarchy. They should not have done so. On the other hand, the Rambam holds that no, they did the right thing because that was the only way to stabilize things in the aftermath of the Hanukkah story. So it's it's interesting to note that it did happen one time in history. Amra Byochon. So the Gimara says as follows. Amra Byochon, who Yochon, who Yohoachas. So Yochon and Yoachas are the same person. I bhaq siv ha buchar So the Giposik says when recounting the when recounting the king says the Bukhar was Yochon. So we'll say the positive Gimar is calling over here. Is from is from Divrei Hayomim Ubineyosho. Bnei the, the Gemara is called the the pasuk is enumerating the sons of Yosho. It says Bnei Yosho, Habachar Yochanan, Hashini Yehoyakim, Hashlishi Tzidkiyo, and Haravi Shalom. So the Gemara says as follows: The Gemara says, I'm sorry, I just lost the place. Abba Yochanan, who Yochanan, who Yoachas, Yochanan and Yoachas are the same person. I have a haq ha bakor yochanon. I have, but it says the bakor was yochanon. It meant bakor lamalchus. He was the first part of the monarchy. Amra b'yokhanon. Who shalom Who silkio. Shalom and silkio are the same person. I have a haq ha gimel silkio. ravi'i shalom. I have, but it says the third son was silkio and the fourth son was shalom. Gimel Todos Dalid lamalchus. He was the third son biologically, but the fourth in line for the throne. Sirkio, so we'll say, why was he named Sirkio? Shetzidek alav midas hadin. He accepted, he accepted upon himself the the midas hadin, the the attribute of justice. He accepted upon himself the justice, the din. Now, interestingly enough, if you take a look at the carbon ha'ida on the left side, where it says, So, this is very interesting. Tzirkio was installed as king by Nevuchanetzar. Nevuchanetzar, as you're going to see, renamed him Tzirkio. And said essentially, God, God should judge you if you rebel against me. I'm giving you a chance to be king. I'm giving you a chance for some level of autonomy. But if you rebe- if you rebel against me, essentially, Echadish Baruch will judge you harshly. Shalom. What does it mean? Shalom. Shebiyamav Shama Malchus Beis In his days, in Sidiu's days. The Davidic monarchy came to an end, so the Gemara says, mm-hmm. His name was not Shalom. His name was Matanya. "Hadachu As Dodo actually quite incredible. That remember, Matanya was his name, was his given name. Excuse me. Nivu installed him as king. Installed him as king. Also remember again, this is right. This is right pre khurban this is right before the destruction of the first base HaMikdash. Nebuchadnezzar is already in charge. He's already installing kings. He installs a man by the name of Matanya and changes his name to Zedkiyo. Why Zedkiyo? Because essentially Nebuchadnezzar warned him, God will judge you harshly if you rebel against me. Incredible. Incredible. Am So we'll say, we're switching gears here for just a moment, switching gears for just a moment, and talking about the dimensions of the RO. So <laughs> I'll say before we get to the dimensions, well let, let's finish. Fine. says So I so will say so this I, I I sent out on the what's on the WhatsApp chat um, a PDF, a color PDF. So you can see actually a picture of two different pictures of the dimensions of the Aron. One according to Rabbi Huda and one according to Rabbi Meir. It'll just be a little bit easier to follow along. You'll see this inside. So the Gemara says as follows. I'm Rabbi Yehudan says as follows. Hayo Rabbi Yochanan says, we'll say, in general, throughout Shas, there is a machlokus about how to measure an ammo. Is an amma made up of five tfakim? Is an amah made up of six tfakim? So this is going to play an incredibly pivotal role in this discussion over here regarding the dimensions of the Aaron. So Rabbi Yochanan said, the Amma referred to in the Torah is an Amma of six tfakim. Therefore again, the Gemara says, shishat haya haya ha'aron asui. Who holds ultimately, again, it was six tfakim, Rabbi Meir hi. Rabbi Meir, Listen to Rabbi Meir Omer, call her Amos Hayu Kebenonios. Rabbi Meir says, all the Amos what well, we call Amos Benonios. Rabbi Huda Omer, Amos Habinyon Shisha Shal Kalim Chamisha. Rabbi Huda says, as we're going to see, that no, for building, they used to use an Ama of six tvachim, but for the utensils, they would use an Ama of five tvachim. We'll come back to that in just a moment. According to Rabbi Meir, I say, remember, Rabbi Meir holds that an Amos six tvachim. Very important, six tefachim. So the Gemara says, to Rabbi Meir, do amar Ba shalvav tefachim hayo, hayo ha'aron asui." So listen to this. So he says, "According to Rabbi Meir, the Amar was six tefachim, and therefore the aron was measured with an Amar of six tefachim." So watch this. Arko shal aron tesvav tefachim. The aron was sixteen. Excuse me, I should say fifteen tefachim long. So what we'll says? So remember again, you could see, you could see over here in the picture of Rabbi Meir. You've got an aron of fifteen tefachim long. How do we get to fifteen tefachim? D'chsev <inaudible> amasayim v'chetzi because the Torah says that the size of the aron, the length of the aron, was two and a half amas. So again, if an amas six tefachim, two and a half amas. Right? Right? Am sa so v'am sa ashi. So one amas six tefachim, one amas six tefachim. palga <inaudible> amsa Ultimately, and half an amas three. That makes it 15 tefachim 15 in length. Okay, luchos hayuba, and I will say there were four tablets inside of the aron. I mean four tablets. I will say, remember again, two broken, two broken, two whole. Which I will say once again, you see from just the gimar- way the gemara is wording itself on the previous machlok, that so was there one aron or two arons. How does the gemara seem to come out on that? One, right? Because remember again, according to the approach that there were two Arons, the whole Luchos were kept in one, and the second, the, and, and the shattered ones are kept in the second. The fact that the Gemara is saying four Luchos were kept in one Aron seems to, seems to indicate that the Gemara is siding with the opinion that in fact there was one Aron. So you have four tablets inside of it. Shnaim, shlem, Shnaim, Shimurim, two old ones, two broken ones. Asher she barta, v'samtem ba'aron. So, ultimately, again, the Pasuk says a little bit of a, we're just putting the comma in the wrong, in a different, not in the wrong, hasha, in a different place. Keshach says, the luchos that you broke, samtem ba'aron, placed them in the ark. So, so, the broken luchos were there as well. Haluchos hayubo, so the Gemara says, v'samtem ba'aron, haluchos echad ve'echad, arko vav t'vachim, and rachbo shlosha. each tablet, Each tablet was ultimately again had a, had a length of six tvachim and a width of three tvachim. Okay, v'tein. So take out, take out Arkon luchos the laarkon shel aron, l'shal aron Nishtayersham sham shlosha t'fachim. And if you take the width, the grut changes Arkon to Rachban. Take the width of the luchos, put them along the length of the aron, and it turns out that you have three t'fachim of space left. Three tefachim says so You can see this all on the image. We'll say now one second. We're not finish it. Amen. Base. Tain mehem. Chazi tefach You have to leave a little bit of space because obviously you can't put the luchos flush against the side of the arm. For the simple reason is, is, technically speaking, you need to be able to get the luchos out. Although you're not really taking the luchos out, but you need some space. Nishtayer shne So She will say that leaves you with two tefachim of space. All right. So we, we've got we've got. We've got the luchos arranged along the length of the Aron, leaving ultimately, again, three Tfachim of space. I'm sorry, three Tfachim of space. We need a half a tefach in between the luchos and the side of the Aron. So if I leave a half a tefak of space, that still leaves me two Tfachim of space in the Aron. What occupy the two Tfachim of space? Well, this is incredible. Tfachim, the Sefer Torah. Two fucking left of the safer Torah, so you can see that in the image. There's a Sefer Torah, say, What Sefer Torah is that? That's the Sefer Torah written by Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the Sefer Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu gives to Sheva Ali, say, That's the Sefer Torah, That there's a machlokis about who finished up that Sefer Torah. Did Moshe Rabbeinu write the entire Sefer? Did Moshe Rabbeinu write the entire Sefer, the last Ipsukim Bedema, with tears? Did Yoshua finish up that Sefer Torah? Okay, either way, that sefer Torah was placed inside of the aron. Rachbo <laughs> shel aron tishat tefachim. The width of the aron was nine tefachim. Nine tefachim d'chsev <laughs> amav achitzi rachbo. Because I'll we'll say again, the pasuk says explicitly that the, that the width of the aron was an am and a half. So according to Rabbi Mayer, remember again, am sashi and am a sixth tefachim upaga amsa upaga amsa telasa <laughs> and half an am a three tefachim. That makes the width of the aron. Nine Arba So must remember again there are four Luchos in the Aron, two whole, two broken, So we'll say the aron themselves, each sorry, the luchos themselves, each each tablet had a length of six tvachim, and a width of three tvachim, aron. Place the length of the luchos in the width of the aron. Nishtayer sham shlosha tefachim. It turns out that you have three tefachim of space left. So what do you do? So the gemara says chasi tefach mikam lekol The chasi tefach mikam lekol salze. Tefachaim leshilut makum shasefer torah munach. And what we'll say? So again, you leave a half a tefach here, a half a tefach there, and ultimately again. Rose I want to point out, remember, what the yamar is also going to add in over here, the yamar just did add in, is that the wall itself occupied some amount of that width. So right, remember again, when the Torah says that the width of the arm was nine tefachim, a half a tefach of that, you can see in the image, was occupied ultimately, again, by the width of the wall as well. So I will say, this is the position ultimately, again, of Rebbe Meir, and you can see exactly how the arm is laid out. Four tablets arranged side by side, Along the length of the aron, along the length of the aron, with the sefer Torah inside of that aron. So we'll say pretty dramatic. Four luchos, set of whole luchos, set of broken luchos, sefer Torah with a little bit of space between the broken luach, the sefer Torah on the wall and on the top as well. Incredible. The I will say, ba'ama bas Tfakim haya aron asui." Reish Lakish says, "No." Leish Laki says, in fact, we use an Amah of five tvachim. Not an ama of six Tfachim, an amma of five Tfachim. So the Gemara Saba let's analyze. Rabbi Huda, said the Gemara Rabbi the Tanian, and Taban Taman Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Amah Saba Shisha, Shalkelem Chamisha. Rabbi Yehuda listen to this. Interestingly enough, Rabbi Yehuda is not disagreeing, in principle. Rabbi Yehuda is holding, that the Amah used for building, was an Amah of six tvachim, and the Amah used for utensils, was an Amma of five Tfachin. But here's the Chah. Vahin Aron Klihu. will say interesting enough, he holds that the Aron was a utensil. It wasn't part of the binyan. So because the Aron was a utensil, therefore what? It was measured with an Amma of five Tfachin. So will say now watch this. Now let's go through the arrangement of the Aron. According to... It's the other picture, according to Rabbi Huda, really quite dramatic. So the Gemara says, Here we go. Rabbi Ba Arka So listen to this. Hayya Arka Asi So we'll say now. Interestingly enough, according to Rabbi Huda, the length of the Aron is not fifteen amos like Rabbi Meir, but in fact again it's going to be 12 and a half amos. The length of the aron is going to be twelve and a half amas. So we'll say now, watch this. Where do we get this from? They will saying, I remember again, figuring out the length is not—it's easy because the Torah tells us the length, and the Torah tells us all the dimensions. The only variable—the only variable—is what size amma you're using. So if you're using ama of five tefachim, the length of the aron was twelve and a half tefachim. Because the pasuk says the length of the aron was two and a half amas. Amso Khamisha, the Amsahe. So we'll say each amma is five tvachim. Upliga amso treopahplug. And half and half an and is two and a half tvachim. So we'll say you put that all together and what do you have? 12 and a half tfuchim of length. The Luchos, how you bo. So we'll say I watch this, everyone is agreeing that all four Luchos were placed inside of the Aron. See so the Gimara says, V'dal luchos ha'yobo, sh'neim sh'leim sh'leim sh'vurim, two whole luchos, two broken luchos, t'chsev asher sh'ibart baron, b'haron, va'luchos, ha'yokol echad v'echad arkon shisha t'fachim, v'rachban shlosha t'fachim. I will say the dimensions of the, of the dimensions of the luchos, no one disagrees with it as well. The dimensions of the luchos were six t'fachim in length and three t'fachim in width. Tein, watch this, tein, rachban sh'aluchos, La Arko Shall Aron. So I go ahead and take literally again the width of the Luchos across the length of the Aron, Sham And ultimately again you're left with a half a tafach. So I'll say, take a look again at the image over here, so you can see, as opposed to the luchos being arranged side by side, like they were in the in the approach of Rabbi Meir, here the luchos are arranged literally to one set on top of the other. You have the broken set, I'll call it the broken set on top, but I don't know, whichever you're going to call it on top. I have the broken set to the, to the left, to the left, the the whole set to the right. So and ultimately again there was a half a tafach of space left. So the Gemara says etzba kosel. So ultimately again, the said there was a court, now a court. Now the the etzba means when speaking out the thickness of the wall. So yeah, etzba literally means it was only as only as wide as a finger. Then Rabbeinu said, but you have to quantify that. So so the Kabbaniyidah quantifies that and says it was a quarter of a tafakh. The width of the wall itself was a quarter of a tefach. Ultimately, again, so you have a quarter of a tefach on each side. That was the width of the wall. So the Gemara says, "Roch bo shel the width of the aron was seven tefachim, seven and a half tefachim. Shiva tefachim mechza tichsin amavachit zirachbol. Because again, the pasuk says that the width of the aron was one and a half amas. So remember, amsa hamisha. So the gemara says amsa Khamisha. So an amas five tefachim. Palga amsa treyupalig. And ultimately, again, a half an amma is two and a half tefachim. So the gemara says I will say that makes it seven and a half. The Dalit luchos Hayuva. There are four luchos inside the Aron. Shneim shleim shneim shivurim. Two whole, two broken. Dechsev Asher shebarta the sament baaron Hayukol echad veechad arkon shlisha t'fakim ve'rachban shlosha t'fakim. Each one was six t'fakim long and three t'fakim wide. Tain arkon le'rachbo. Place the length according to the width of the Aron din shdayer. Sham t'fach u'mechza, and you're left ultimately again with a t'fach and a half of space. Etsbalakosamikan, Etsbalakosamikan. The width of the wall itself occupies or takes up a quarter of a tefach. So what happens? So chatsi, I'm sorry. Etsbalakosamikan, Mikan, Chatsi tefach mikan vechatsi tefach mikan leshilut. I will say, that leaves a half a tefach on each side. The shilut literally means movement. say, so like, no one, no one, no one wants to, no one is setting it up in a way where the, the, the luchos themselves are flush against the side of the yarn. You need some, we'll call it movement, movement area. So the Gemara says, asa. So we'll say so again. So that's the makhluk. So I will say, now, what I will point out is you begin to see the major nafkamino between Rabbi Yehuda and Nair is, of course, the size of the yarn. I will say, but the major nafkamino, it was? Where do you place the Sefer Torah? According to Rabbi Huda, the Sefer Torah was inside of the Aaron itself. According to Rabbi Meir, sorry, just the opposite. According to Rabbi Meir, the Sefer Torah was inside of the Aron itself. According to Rabbi Huda, there was a daf, there was some type of shelf on the outside of the Aron on which you placed the Sefer Torah. So we'll say, so an incredible, we'll get, it. the Gemara is going to spell that out in just a little bit. But that, that was the major napkin. I will say, I will say, Interestingly enough, the dimensions of the luchos are not subject to dispute. Only the dimensions of the aron itself. Now, now that we're speaking about the aron, katez also zalas aron. So, by the way, how did Btzalum make the aron? So, what's this incredible? Rabbi the Amar, Rabbi Chanan said, shalosh tevos Asan. a Shazav shalzav acha shalitz. So he made it. There was three boxes: two boxes of gold, one box of wood. So he put put the gold box inside of the wood box and then the wood box inside of a larger golden box. And ultimately again coated everything with gold. The pasuk says, "You shall coat it with gold on the inside and the outside." So we'll say, "Why does the pasuk say you have to coat it? You have to cover it." We'll say, to include the top lip of the ark. Because we'll also remember again, according to this approach, the ark has three boxes: an outer gold box, an inner wood box, and a smaller inner gold box. But that means if you looked at the top of the ark, what would you see? You would see again. The lip of three boxes. So if it's piece of some means you have to cover that top with gold as well. Rish Lakish says, no, it was one box. It was one big wood box that you coated with gold. So why does the Pasek say you have to, what does it mean when it says you have to quote it with gold? Both said that comes to include the area in between the boards. So for example, the like Carmen Ida points out, let's say you built a box, but the box itself was made up of individual boards that were joined together. Even at the points where the boards meet, you have to make sure that the gold goes there as well. Incredible. So I said that, that ends the discussion regarding the Aro. Now the gemara transitions to an incredible discussion regarding the regarding the luchos. Now I said before we go on to the luchos, I just want to close out the aron piece because remember again the fundamental machlokes, the fundamental machlokes we had regarding the aron. I said, was remember how did all this start? How do we get into a discussion about the Aaron? by trying to figure out what happened to the aron? Was the Arun exiled with Cloud Yisrael, or did it remain inside of the base Hamikdash itself? I will say that's a huge nafkamina just for our own niche of hadas. You see, I'm okay if I don't have the Arun as long as I know. That it's somewhere in the Harabayis. As long as I know that it's there, I'm good. As opposed to, as opposed to, is the Aron somewhere out there in the world? How can you sleep at night? How could a how could you Jew sleep at night if the arn is exiled somewhere out in the world and no one knows where the arn is? So say, what's the halacha? So the Rambam in Hilchah, Rambam in Hilchos Beis Habechira, Hilchol, perek da halacha al as follows. He says, he says, even so we'll say, when Shomelach built the Beis Hamikdosh, there was a prophecy. They knew that the Beis Hamikdash would not last forever. So what did he do? He went ahead and he built subterranean chambers in which to go ahead and hide the Aaron. Hide the Aaron. So today's daf. Today's daf. Today's death. Hey, so, so Yoshio Yo went ahead and commanded that the Aaron, that the Aaron be buried in those subterranean chambers. He quotes the passage we just quoted. Yoshio, mm-hmm. when, when it becomes clear that, that there is impending doom of destruction, he commands the Levim Buried the ark in the subterranean chamber. The gunas, venignas, imamata mataron, vitsin sanas shemana mishcha, the call elu lo chazru babayasheni. Afuran bitumim, so bose you see a lama you see that Raman Paskins, indeed, that the Aron is buried underneath the Harhabais. So we say incredible news. We don't yet have the base Hamiktosh. Meshiach did not yet come, but the good news is. The Arun is Munach bimkomo. The Arun is buried underneath the Harabais. The Arun is buried in the subterranean chambers of Sholom The Arun is there, waiting for us when Mashiach comes to rebuild the Beis HaMikdosh. Mirat HaShem, the Lviv will go back down into those chambers, retrieve the Arun. The Arun was not exiled amongst the nations. It resides in Yerushalayim. It resides in the Harabais. And the Amirat HaShem will be Zoha to retrieve it soon. Alright, am we'll stop over here. We'll pick up Amirat HaShem with a riveting discussion regarding the Luchos tomorrow. Thank you. good morning.